Greetings, oh fellow Denzians of the interwebs. You have stumbled upon something that we're not quite sure exactly what it's going to turn into. Uh, we're not entirely sure how Mr. Albright uh, is allowing us to do this, but we're going to try it and see where it goes. Today, you have found the Wolfpack Podcast. The Wolfpack Podcast is comprised of the four best friends that there ever will be. <laughs> um, I will run down the list here real quick and get some intros going. Uh, my name is Justin Watts at Paladin Machina on Twitter and Facebook and everywhere else in the social media outlet. Um, coming to you semi-live from a uh, basement in sunny California somewhere or a conference room or wherever I could find at this point in time. Uh, Chuck, you there? I am. I am here. It is the Mad Sound Guy, Chuck Espinoza, coming to you from Avixa HQ, the mothership in my basement storage area office test facility. Awesome, uh, no. sir. Yeah, I'm here. <laughs> Jeremy, what's up? Greetings, everyone. At Jeremy underscore Caldera is me on the Twitter, also on the Facebook and I don't know what else. I think I'm on Instagram. I don't know. I post stuff now and then. I mostly subscribe to specific supermodels, but that's about it. Yeah, I was going to say, with Tinder in there? <laughs> no, no. But but there are some other subscriptions that I have in there, but I don't really post much on that. But I'm on there if you want to try and find me. Don't try. Just avoid it. It's, it's, Swipe it's, up. <laughs> <laughs> no, up is bad, I think. Yeah. No, that's why we said up. Yeah. Uh, and I so think it... Well, I don't know. It, it, Jeremy is social media challenge. Leave him alone. All right. So we have Jeremy. We have Chuck. That must mean somewhere there is little brother floating around. Luke, you out there? I'm here. I'm not wearing a V-neck. Uh, whoa, 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 whoa. That's not. That's not. That's not admissible. This is not Luke. <laughs> Boo. What the heck? You can uh, DM me on Twitter, and you can send me V-necks. Patterned V-necks. Oh, that's a fantastic idea. I'm coming up with a company V-neck and I'm sending it to you. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you can follow me at Luke Jordan EAVI. Look at this. He's got like props. I got a sign. So that's all the budget I have for this podcast. <laughs> uh, oh, that's more than we had because to be really honest, we weren't, uh, I'll be fully transparent with our listeners, the, both of them who are listening at this point in time. Uh, we really didn't, um, we, we put together the agenda for this about two minutes ago. So this is going to be a pretty interesting ride. Uh, to start, though, let's discuss the whole concept of the Wolfpack, right? So for, for those of you who don't know, and I, I think that's probably, again, the, the two folks who are listening, um, we four have been friends for quite some time. Uh, we have zero geographic similarity except for the fact that Luke and I both uh, live in the great state of Texas. It's a country. A but isn't Texas as big as like the whole Northeast or something? But Texas is amazing. Just shut your mouth. Uh, so, I mean, just in general, Texas is great. Uh, having said that, though, we do not have a lot of ge geographic similarities. I work on the West Coast. Uh, Chuck works and lives on the East Coast. Luke's in Texas. Jeremy is somewhere around the Great Lakes. Uh, we, we, we do not have just a whole lot of continuity in that space. How did this come to be? I mean, I know we all got really drunk one night in, in Chuck's uh, suite in, at, at, at Infocom one year. 
ended up like massaging Luke's feet with a Sharpie. <laughs> well, it, it, re it really was like an episode of The Hangover, right? I mean, I, and we clearly dubbed Luke as Alan. That was an immediate thing. It was a given. Um, it, it, Jeremy calls himself Bradley Cooper. I'm not entirely sure where that came from, but... <laughs> But so, so talk about that. Where, where, what keeps this whole thing going, except for the fact that I send y'all swag from the companies that I work from? Well, I, I don't I think, know. I don't know at all. I know that I talk to you guys more on a regular basis than I talk to almost anybody else with the group text message we have going on. And I actually see you guys more than other people that I live down the street from. I mean, just last week, I was in California at the Elmo event, and Justin and I were going to try and hook up, but he was in Texas, and he actually went to California when I went to Texas. We, like, crossed planes. Uh, that same week, I actually landed in Texas and hung out at Luke's for the weekend, and, like, we smoked cigars and drank scotch and... You know, the next day we went to the water park with his, with his, with Hank the Tank and uh, had my, a good old time. My, my four-year-old asked me this week to tell you hi. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then, you know, after I left Dallas, I went up to Chicago, hung out for a couple of days with Jeremy uh, after our um, academic advisory board meeting. So I, we, we all kind of gravitated together for our love for AV, you know, Justin and Luke were just together at, what was it? At, uh, uh, SCN had the uh, AVIT summit. Yeah. Uh, and so I did a stadium tour because we did the, the AV out there, but Justin came in and talked uh, both from the perspective of an IT manager and of a, from an end user. Um, it was just a fantastic event, but, but again, we were just all, all right there. I guess really how did, you know, so everyone brought someone in. So who was the first of us to really connect and meet and, and kind of start hanging out? I think it was Chuck and I, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, yeah. it was. Yeah, it was a text message string that started there after we hung out quite a bit. And then Justin kind of rolled in and then we brought Luke in. And Which, I think I've never figured that out. So uh, three years ago. We really, Luke. It's okay. <laughs> yeah, man. Drive right on. Keep it going. Uh, three years ago, uh, Jeremy and I both won a VIXA awards. We took a, a group picture um, at like the, the opening ceremony there, and then I didn't see any of you guys for the rest of the week. That was and intentional. Think, that was I intentional. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't even know who you were. <laughs> Still don't. We saw you. We just ran around the corner really quick. <laughs> so I tagged myself in a picture like, after Infocom, and that's when Jeremy and I started talking and. It was in Orlando two years ago that we were signing feet. Like, boom, that went, that escalated quickly. Which sounds <laughs> odd to everybody. I guess it really is odd in general, but, you know, don't let that kind of scare you away from us. <laughs> At the time, it seemed like the thing to do. But we've said that about a lot of things involving, like, Mexico, Cuba, Amsterdam, and... Soon to be Snoop, Snoop Dogg. <laughs> yeah, soon to be Snoop Dogg. It seemed like the thing to do it. I will say, though, to answer your question, though, Luke, or whoever asked it, I don't remember. I think that this, this podcast came to be because of our four-person group text message that just kept getting funnier and funnier. And we had just had the great idea that, hey, we should make a podcast out of just this text message conversation redacted most of it obviously <laughs> but uh heavily uh, redacted and heavily tim and av nation i guess are uh, 
the intelligent ones that actually are making this happen. I don't know that it's so smart on their part, but you know, right. here we so, are. And, and, and to that end, we all have very different backgrounds across this industry. We have ties with integrators. Uh, we have different experiences. Chuck, you know, starting out in the Marine Corps and doing his stuff there. Uh, we're not entirely sure how Jeremy, Jeremy matriculated this organization, but he made it anyway. Uh, Luke has been playing with Lincoln Logs now for at least two years. He's like 16 years old. It, 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 I, the one thing I get out of this, and I hope we can share with the users today, listeners today, both of them, is that we, uh, we really enjoy what we do. This is something that was born out of the fact that the four of us, aside from live and breathe this industry and this organization, we love this. I mean, I, I do AV stuff on the weekends because I enjoy doing AV stuff. Is that a fair statement? Is that something that we can all get behind? I think we all kind of do AV stuff all the time. It's If you look at any one of our lives, AV stuff is not really something we do. It's what we all are. Like when we get together and talk right. about chit-chat, we're talking about chit chat of of new things out or did you see this new technology or or uh this new process that people came out with or hey this 3d projection like we talk about the stuff we're really passionate about it happens to be av and i, I think that's one of the reasons that we got together as a group is because we we're meeting at all these different conventions and 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 uh and meetups and stuff and and we're all really super passionate about doing AV the right way and not just doing AV the right way, but I think we're all very passionate about the betterment of the industry as a whole, right? Yeah. Because yeah. all four of us are doing tons of volunteering, not just on a local level with, with our own organizations and whatnot, but in general, just across the board throughout the entire industry. And that's also part of where we're meeting each other on a regular basis and kind of getting to hang out. Right. So like Chuck said, I mean, we got to hang out because him and I sat on the academic advisory board at Columbia college together. Right. And that was a kind of a volunteer thing we did there to help the betterment of new people within the industry. And, you know, Luke is, is, uh, came on as chair of uh, the CTS program after I did. Right. And then I came on after Chuck did. So it's, 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 you know, Justin, he teaches, you know, he's getting involved more and more. He was very heavily involved with standards. It was Pisker was yours, right? Was that this? No. Yeah. 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 We, we, pit, the, the revamp of Pisker was mine. So yeah. we're still, so, we're, we're currently still working on it. Yeah. You're in the same boat as me with one of my standards. So, I mean, we're, we're yeah. in the same boat, we're still working on it, but you know, there's, there's that heavy involvement and, and it's just not just a passion for, for, you know, AV as a, as a whole, but as the industry, you know, in general. So. That's the other thing too is is we all kind of raise each other up. Um, not only when when we're having a, a rough go of things, but we're just continually pushing each other to always be improving and doing better. Um, you know, Jeremy and I. Uh, Jeremy's the CEO of IAS. I'm uh, currently starting a process of of purchasing ownership of my company. Uh, Jeremy is someone that I can call with. If I have a big win, I can call him and it's not being egotistical bragging. It's just somebody who's at the same place in me and a similar size company that understands the struggles, the successes, and, and kind of has my back, uh, but is also outside of my organization. So there he's removed from, you know, some of the emotions, maybe some of the politics that might be involved um, in my local area. So that's been just, uh, you know, Jeremy and I really connect in that way, and that's been fantastic. 
Um, Chuck is just one of the smartest guys out there as far as how to do things the right way and, and what the standards are. So in some level, I'll be calling Chuck with a couple questions. Other times I'll be on just forums and Facebook groups or whatever, and somebody will, will have a question or, or be frustrated and I'll just tag Chuck and leave. And, and he'll just, <laughs> and I'll show up the next day and there'll be like, <laughs> like a 30, you know, text string on Facebook. Uh, but, but Chuck is just able to come in there. Um, we just all push each other in the industry uh, in, in great ways. Well, and from my perspective, I, I have the same belief in that. And I, I currently gravitate from the other side. So being a technology manager and an end user, uh, I will shamelessly leverage my connections to you three for questions, comments, concerns, and y'all really fact check me as well and, and make sure that I'm grounded in a lot of ways. Um, also, you know, uh, as we mentioned, our text thread in the background, if it were to be heavily re redacted and, re and released, would be something that I would hope that people would see that we're trying to build each other up, right? I mean, we have a good time doing it. We poke fun at each other. You know, we have an Alan. Alan's great. Uh, we, we just, we have that, that brotherhood, you know, that esprit de corps that lifts us up and helps us build, you know, the awesomeness that we build every day. And one of the things I want to key in on, so we talked about the association and how it, it, this industry has brought us together and how things are moving forward. But the key thing we've talked about a lot, and I want to go into that, is the right way. We all four of us had said the right way at least once as it applies to our industry, doing things the right way, building things the right way. Uh, obviously, that's arbitrary. I mean, let's be completely honest. Uh, that is an arbitrary marker because the right way can mean a lot of different things. That's why we as an organization have done things like develop standards, develop best practices, uh, deliver you know actual uh, containers around deliverables to make things make sense. Let's talk about the right way. What does the right way mean to each of us? And I'm going to start with Chuck. Chuck, what does the right way mean to you? What does the focus give you on the right way? So when I look at doing things the right way, um, what I call the right way is things that are scientifically proven. Uh, so many people will come in and do the whole looks about right or give it a wild audacious guess, a wag at it. And I always try to, to really push, let's do things by the numbers, by the math, and uh, start with the math. I want to start with the measurements, and if, if I don't know a measurement or um, a, a metric that goes along that, I want to find out what that metric or measurement is or what that testing method is. So when I say the right way, like I'm going to come in and start working with meters and getting numbers and getting all the information I can and making sure all that information follows through I, when it comes to my process i want to have a process not just say hey, let's see if we can throw some stuff up on the wall um i want to make sure it's it's vetted and done a specific way that's repeatable and if we do make a mistake we can go back in that process and say hey at this point in the evolution of this there was a mistake here let's fix that now and the next time we do it, it's not a, it's not a, a show or it's, it's not a, a just a, a, the same mistake over and over. So when okay. I say the so right I'm, way, I'm going to interrupt you, Chuck, because 
I'm going to say that the right way is defined by the user experience, which is a big topic of conversation now in the industry. And my question to you would be, how do you scientifically prove the user experience? Oh, awesome. That is a great question because there are so many things now that they're able to scientifically prove user experience, but you have to do a lot of experimentation with it. Just like with the numbers, uh, you know, analyzing light when they first had a candle, uh, it took a lot of experimentation on how do we capture the measurement of this candle and then how do we make one candle uh, a, a thing that we could say, well, this is the power of 10 candles or this is the power of 100 candles. Um, so now they're doing that with human emotion. They're starting to get humans into a, a room and put different things in front of them and see how they feel. And, and uh, the design of everyday things, if anyone's read the book, um, you know, the people react certain ways to certain things. You push doors certain ways, you pull doors certain ways. They're starting to take all this into effect. So they're actually doing that emotion in a, in a, a logical manner. Uh, they're, they're getting metrics on emotion. Uh, and you just have to sit down and test people. Now, you can't, it's really, really hard to, to gather four or five people together and get a metric. You have to do big groups of people. So they're doing a lot of studies on, how people behave, they're getting psychologists involved uh, to make better things. I mean, think of, think of your car when you get a flat. If you have a, a, a car that has that flat tire, uh, the book title I just referenced was The Design of Everything, things, uh, Don Norman. Um, yeah. So if you get a flat, you have one of those indicators that just has, it says you have a flat. It has a little exclamation point with a flat tire. You know you have a flat. You have to go around and check all four tires. Then they have other cars that have a picture of the car and the four different tires and one tire is blinking. Okay, that's better. That makes us feel better so we know the one tire, now we have to check it. Now they have cars that it tells you not only what tire, but how low the pressure is. It says, you know, this tire is 40, this tire is 40, this tire is 40, and this tire is 30. So you can go and say, hey, I need 10 pounds of pressure in that tire. So throughout all these metrics, we're getting better user interfaces, we're getting better um, system interfaces. So they're actually scientifically gathering information on human emotion and we're using that in UI and UX design. Uh, I'm gonna push back though. I think that that's not quite the way to define what the right thing is. I think that's defining success criteria. So sure. there's the right way to build it and then once it's built it's time to use it and if we use it in a way that appropriately engages our audience and in, at least meets their expectations then we have achieved our success metric however you want to define that and measure that so going back to the original question for us we've been in business 35 years i was the first person in our company to get my uh, get a cts certification uh, which was, um, I guess, about seven years ago. And so when we, we got the, the CTS kind of handbook guide and we started reading through that, and, and what I love about the CTS is it goes from um, like sales, like the initial sales contact all the way to service and everything in between from programming meetings, engaging with a designer, you know, sending proposals to the client and getting their, their input and satisfaction all the way to install project management, fabrication, it, testing. It's great. Um, but for us, you know, we've been in business, you know, almost 30 years at the point. 
and that was confirmation that we had been doing a lot of things the right way up until that point, which it's hard to stay in business 30 years at all. So um, we had to be doing something right, but that really confirmed a lot of our processes and gave us the confidence to continue to develop and better uh, our ways of doing things. But then the other thing is it's not just uh, wow, we're great, you know, go team pride. There were a few things where we realized that we didn't have a, a good handle on uh, service logs was a obvious thing that we weren't doing well that we picked up when we started getting CTS accredi uh, accredited people. And so we, we looked at the few things that we really weren't doing a good job at and corrected those. Um, because at the end of the day, uh, and, and again, I'm, I'm usually looking at a sales perspective. If I'm responding to an RFP and I'm, I'm going against other companies, if I do everything in a way that the industry recognizes is a best practice and a quality way to go about doing it, my, comp my competition can't talk crap about me. They, they might be able to say, uh, I, can, I can maybe do it for less, but they can't say I can do it better. They can't say, well, well those guys don't have a, a good way of doing it. And then even some of these practices, you can get your efficiency tightened up and you might be able to beat them on price too while still providing better quality. So really the, the standards and best practices define for us what the best way to go about building systems and solutions is. It's, it's interesting because from, from my side of the fence, sitting over here as the one who's writing the checks to spend money, um, it, it becomes a, a, a weird dynamic. Uh, and, and Luke, you've heard me say this before, so I'll say it again because it bears repeating. I don't care from a user experience standpoint, which is what I hold to my highest level, because for me, the user experience is the paramount value of delivery. If you do a, 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 if you do a succinct and concise job in defining the user experience, you can apply scientific metrics and apply best practices and deliver something amazing. And that's our job. Right, is to deliver the amazing, to deliver the magic that, that folks see every day. From a user experience standpoint, what's right is what's right. I don't care how you do it. I don't care whose name's in the box. If Whataburger tomorrow made a video codec and it did what my users needed to do, I'd buy it. Right? In all absolute fairness. I just that's how I look at it. So you've both talked about things that make sense, but really it's interesting that you look at it this way because Chuck is looking at it from that scientific metric, right? And this is cool because I think this kind of shows the dichotomy of how our personalities play off each other. Chuck is looking at it from that scientific metric because Chuck is the person, the be-all, end-all. I mean, Chuck is like the Avixa Buddha, right? I mean, he is the expounding, the expounding fount of knowledge at Avixa when it comes to training. We love um, we do. We actually do. We love, we love all of you. But I'm saying, you know, Chuck looks at it from a, a data-driven aspect. I mean, Luke really is looking at it from the aspect of if you're going to write an RFP tomorrow, how would he do it? Both answers are right. I mean, let's be fair. Neither one of you is wrong. It's just your life experiences have brought you to this point where you view it A plus B equals C, but A and B are different variables for each of you. Now, Jeremy, what do you think? Because, I mean, you, you're sitting there drinking your, your vodka or whatever clear drink you have there at this point in time. What exactly is, is your definition of right in this scenario? 
I don't know. I'm all over the board on this, man. You know, my my mentality has changed, and it's you're exactly right. It's changed based on uh, experience, right? Because I can tell you, it was more geared towards uh, did I accomplish what the user wanted me to accomplish when I was in sales, right? It was more geared towards a scientific methodology and a does A plus B equal C definitively when I was doing more design work and as a director of engineering, right? Because I wanted to make sure that, um, you know, the system accomplished A, B, and C and how do I do that? How do I make sure it's done and done well? Uh, now running an organization, I'm trying to tie all of that together, right? So how, how do I accomplish both and how do I inspire my team to buy into a lot of this, right? Because I've got a sales team that doesn't want me to necessarily do all of the standards and follow all of the procedures that I want them to follow, um, as Luke said, right? Because that makes this more expensive inherently. It, it just does. No matter how efficient you get, it makes you more expensive in the competition. who's not doing any of that stuff because it takes time. That time is billable, so I have to look at it from the business perspective. But then at the same time, I'm trying to get the technicians to buy into the continuing education and the certification and why it is we do the things that we do. And I'm trying to get my engineers to understand that it's not just uh, you know, taking a, a signal from here and getting it to here, right? It's about uh, what experience you're having in that conference room and, and start thinking about your design once you talk to the end user, right? Like don't walk into a room and say, okay, they want to do Excel PowerPoints and then just do the math to figure out a screen and how you get it from point A to point B. What experience does the end user want? Do they, do, is there an issue with room occupancy? Is there issues with room scheduling? How do we tie in all these other things together and, and bring this together and start thinking about it from different design perspectives? So for me, what is right, um, you know, just in my shoes right now, what is right is what's going to yield the most profit, right? As a business person, right? But at the same time, while you're doing it well, I mean, we have, we have to make money to stay in business, right? But, but how do you merge all these things together? And um, I, it's a challenge that I deal with, I think, every single day. And I, I honestly, I don't have an answer to that. I, I really don't because I, I have this constant battle with myself and every aspect of the different people on my team that are, that are pushing back on me as to why they want to do things they want to do. And it, it's, I, I think it's ultimately going to get sorted out, but I'm not going to have an answer anytime soon. I can guarantee that as to what the real definition of that is. I mean, just to be straightforward, honest, from a business perspective, I think that's where we're at. Well, and it's interesting that you put it that way. And you made something very clear is that we each have our own view and our own experience when it comes to this. And as we grow in our industry, it, that may change, it may move, it may slide. I mean, when I was pushing cases as a roadie, you know, my definition of what was right was far and limited to where it is now. Um, one thing I will say, you know, it's, I think it's a theme we've carried throughout this entire conversation is that it really is based upon the sum of that experience, right? And I would call the sum of that experience your brand. I would call that your personal investment in what that becomes. So great example, you know, Alan said that when we're trying, to, when, he, when, he, when he brought CTS to the company that he works for, uh, things started to change. Is that a fair assessment, Luke? I mean, when you brought CTS in, you know, you started to see some movement, some traction, right? Yeah, I, I think that's key because, again, that's you. And that's the, and Jerry talked about his move from director of engineering to where he is now. You know, 
We all know the long litany of Chuck Espinoza from the hashtag Chuck Espinoza facts on Twitter. If you don't know that, please go search it. It's worth a laugh. But having said that, you know, we know that Chuck's experience comes from a place and a drive and a move. I would posit that your own personal brand helps you determine what that quote unquote right is. And when we use these scientific methods like Chuck described, since we all subscribe to the same playbook at that point in time, we all agree that the Stellan I chart is a reference that we use when it comes to normative values reviewing and that it applies to things like, you know, Pisker and it applies to discus or you're looking at spectral balance and how it applies to is a room loud enough and does it sound correct. You take your brand, you overlay it onto these these scientific qualities and quantities and best practices, we all pull from the same playbook and that's how we deliver success to the user. Is that a fair statement? I think that's a very fair statement. And I think that one of the challenges that I talked about having in my organization is how do I inspire everybody on the different teams that I have to kind of sign on to all of this different stuff, right? And I think that the, the passion that I bring, the passion that Luke brings to his organization, that you bring to your organization as an end user, you know, Justin, that tied in with all that other stuff is ultimately going to hopefully inspire other people to, you know, sign on to that, to get involved, to, it's going to improve the culture overall, uh, which is going to sell the idea and, and the idea of what is right and what is great to everybody. And if they, if you believe it and they believe it, your customer is going to believe it, right? They're going to believe that you know what you're doing. The other thing that's really important, and we kind of referenced this before we, we started this, is having the right fit with the customer too. Um, my culture and my values and um, what my success criteria is going in on a project might be wildly different than my clients. It doesn't mean that they are, are bad people or bad clients or we aren't a mature organization. Uh, it just means that I'm not the best fit for them and that's okay. Um, there's, a, there's a fantastic book called The Checklist Manifesto and they, they talk about um, checklists um, across multiple industries. The guy that wrote it was a surgeon. But when you, when you look at values, um, a, a surgery team has very different success criteria and values than a marketing department. So a marketing department, maybe speed and a high volume of, of initial ideas is really important. And if you have some bad ideas, that's okay, we'll just keep moving on. If you're performing surgery, you have to be precise and careful and zero mistakes because mistakes kill people. So you, you both have um, you know, a job to do, but the values are different. So looking at, at a client, making sure that they are a good fit for the way you do business, which might be, you know, the three of us have different experiences, perspective, even just geographic regions and how that, that environment affects the ways that we go about doing our work. Um, Finding a client that shares your same criteria and, and values is huge. And then once you have a, a set of clients that share that culture, you hire people that also fit into that culture and that, that understanding. And, and so it, it's just one big circle. If at any point you start hiring people that don't fit or you start taking on clients that don't fit, um, it starts to mess with the, the, the secret sauce.
So we can probably start to discuss and move into a new topic, which I think is very important, which is basically the lack of bacon in conference rooms. Yeah, this is something that I got to say is near and dear to my heart. And I have, we have actually started incorporating more bacon into our instructor led training for uh, CTS, CTSI and CTSD. Um, I mean, the design classes, they're really getting that, that slick feel now of the bacon. CTS are really starting to get the smoky flavor and the eyes, the eyes are really starting to get the taste. I mean, I've been putting it in. I don't know about Marcus. Uh, I mean, now that, <laughs> now that Marcus has his CTSD, he's going to be putting maybe his own flavor of bacon in the design courses. But ah, mean, That's an interesting other topic I wanted to bring up. So Marcus – Congratulations, round of applause. Got his CTSD, so he's a dual cert. Marcus, I don't know if you can hear me over there, but golf clap on that, my brother. Uh, how many Chuck are we up to now? Or should I ask Luke this question? Maybe you should know as the chair of CTS. I know I always knew when I was the chair. I knew the stats. Oh, uh, I think we're at about 2,000 CTSD. No, well, who's, how many dual certs do we have though? Uh, it's under 400, I think. Okay. Right around 400, I believe. I don't know if it's that many. I remember I, back I had, when it was under 100, and it was just yeah, a few. Yeah, I, I had the number in January. I haven't updated it, honestly, this quarter. But I think it was around 360-something. Um, that sounds like a lot of fail on your part of, there, Luke. I'm sorry. January, January 1, 2019, uh, there were oh, 400. Okay. So we've uh, – bumped up a couple numbers since then so there's at least at least 401 i know that was january one that's that's yeah. that's pretty good considering that what two three years ago it was less than 150 so that's awesome i'd say that 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 i definitely stepped up to the plate as chair there luke so what are you doing let's take what, what's the problem here we're still working on our vnet campaign okay i think your VNet, you're, it won't help sorry so looking at, we've talked about right, we've talked about how design follow, design could follow form and function, we've talked about the scientific method. What drives delivery when, these, when it comes to these things? I mean, we have a lot of, I mean, in our industry, the whole concept of slinging the brown box has, or, or white box or blue box or whoever colors the box at this point in time, uh, is something that I know we'd all prefer to get away from. Uh, but when it comes to actual engagement, talking to your users and looking into the user experience itself, we drive these things. What do you use as your pivot? What do you use to, to really drive those conversations with your users? Let's start with Jeremy. Jeremy, what do you use as that lever to start those conversations? What do you focus on? What is the, the, the impetus of getting into a space and, and really getting into the user, the, the knowledge sharing mode? It just depends on who the user is. I mean, who I'm talking to, who's the meeting with, right? Um, I, I <laughs> It's kind of off subject a little bit, but I can tell you that Luke, when we were talking earlier, made a really great comment about, um, you know, he it just said it in passing, you know, are, are they a good client, right? Uh, good clients um, are very easy to start that conversation with, right? They're very easy to, um, they understand what, what it truly takes um, to have, you know, to have a great system, to have a great experience, to have everything that's going to come with that. But 
if you're just in a meeting with a bunch of electrical contractors and an architect or something like that, I mean, it's difficult. It, it's, I, I don't know how to start the conversation correctly because you're just kind of, it's just on a whim. You just kind of start bringing it up and hope that somebody cares. That's the key. You've got to hope that the people that you're talking to actually care. Um, so I, I don't think there's a right way or, to, or a wrong way for that matter to, to just get that conversation going. Well, and I, I would suggest, and, and Chuck and, and Luke both kind of hit on this when they were talking about standards and, and scientific delivery. One of the things we should focus on when it comes to building anything, whether it's a, a huddle room on up to a boardroom, is uh, looking at the old idiom, you know, content is king, right? Actually knowing what's going to function in the space. When I was speaking at the AVIT summit uh, with Luke, I think it was last week, the days are starting to blur together. Uh, when I was speaking at that summit, one of the things that I brought up and was actually mentioned previously as well in our uh, pre-show discussion is the, the drive, the strive towards 4K and 8K and whatever K is going to be the next uh, flavor of the month at the next NAB or ISE or whatever it is or Infocom. It's amazing. It's fantastic. I love the fact that we're, we're driving towards a more robust experience around displays and display technologies. What is the user going to do with that monitor in space, that display in space, wherever it lands, could and should drive a, a vast portion of discussion. And speaking to uh, the, the goals that uh, the association that VIX has put forward when it comes to standards, even the CTS, we're, 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 we're trained, we're tested on asking those questions, right? Doing a proper needs analysis. If you throw a 4K monitor into a conference room and, and, and that's what they want, the user has to have it, and they don't realize that looking at an Excel spreadsheet on a 55-inch 4K monitor for eight hours a day can and will cause blindness, go see your doctor, uh, it's definitely something that you should take into account. Oh, with, I mean, listen, without a doubt, I, I, I kid you not, with a week ago, I had a client call me up, say, Jeremy, we want 4K monitors for this conference room, right? And I, I legitimately, and I'm fairly close to the client, I said, no, you don't, right? Because I know what you're doing with it. You're reviewing spreadsheets and you're doing budgets, right? You don't need to spend the money on that. Why do you want a 4K monitor? Like, that's the question I, you know, I just asked him, what, what are you doing that necessitates the 4K monitor? And she goes, no, you're exactly right. We're doing budgeting, but, you know, we need to have the latest and greatest tech because we got this budget money to spend and do that kind of stuff. I said, you don't want that, right? You don't need that. You just need a simple 1080 monitor, it's going to go on the wall, it's going to do 99% of everything you could ever possibly want to do with this, except for show your 4K Blu-ray videos in incredible detail when you're sitting that close. Because the furthest viewer for them was fairly distant, it was about 23 feet or so, right? So if you're running the math on that, you're looking at like a 90-inch display that's about 1080p, you know, they wanted to put in a 65-inch 4K because that's what the budget allowed for. And you know what? They said, oh, and I, once I explained it all to them, I said, you know what, you're right. Thank you so much for bringing that expertise to us. You know, we'll, we'll get that purchase order right over to you. I that's, that's how you start the conversation, not to cut you off. Right. That's how you start the conversation is you challenge your clients by being a better partner, by knowing the standards and, and but challenging. It not doesn't always work. It doesn't always work, right? That, I started the conversation. I had the conversation going. They understood clearly once I explained it. I mean, I'm giving you the 30-second overview of the conversation, right? They better understood what was going on. But then when I checked in with them this week, say, hey, you know, do you want me to get those monitors ordered for you? I got to put another big order in. They said, oh, we just went to Walmart and bought the 65-inch 4Ks, right? And, this, and that's, what, that's what eventually comes down to defining 
what is a, a good client. The way you have that conversation right. is you challenge them. How they respond to that, that's on them. But, and, or there's internal politics at work where they went to their boss and said, here's this is what we're going to get. And he said, that's not what I told you to get. I want the latest and greatest. Just go to Walmart. Right. That's what happened because of the hierarchy at the organization. Somebody else who doesn't care, right, just said, I want the latest and greatest tech because they weren't involved in that decision-making process. Uh, and that's typical. And that's the key. You have to get in front of the correct people. You have to be talking to the correct people and stimulating those conversations as to the why and the what are you doing and how are you doing it and involving that. Because you know what? I, I, we bring more to the table as AV integrators. We've all had this conversation before. Equipment is commoditized. We're not making money on equipment. I'm fine with that. I'm making money on what I invest in most, which is my people, right? My people bring a value. I bring a value. Engineering brings a value. We bring that value, right? That's what you have to sell. And that, to start that conversation, it just comes down to who you're talking to. And you need to make sure you have the right people in the room. You realistically do. Otherwise, that's going to happen where they just go to Walmart. What's so the, the need, it, it, there was two different needs I heard in that whole thing. We need a new display because we have end of year budget money and 4K hotness is out. So we want that. And you asked what they do for their functions, tasks, and applications. And, and they said, yeah, we do this, this spreadsheets, you know, your customer. Um, but what we need is to buy the new hotness. So I look at that as the need wasn't necessarily their functions, task, and application. So I would try and say, okay, I'm going to, man, this is going to be tough, but I'm going to fit your need of your boss wanting to buy the new hotness with your functions, tasks, and applications. So I'm going to buy you a 4K monitor and have one input that has an EDID that's stuck at 720 or 1080. And that's going to, and I'm going to label it the Excel EDID. And every time you go to use Excel, that's the special thing you put in there. And then it changes it to 720. You have big cells. When you want to watch Blu-ray, you plug in the other for 4K. Like the, the, the functions task and application was uh, uh, quarterly meetings where we do budgetary analysis with Excel. But the need was we have to spend this money on some new hotness. Yes, there was also conversation that revolved around budget, which uh, they could not afford the 4K TV that was not a – Sansui or whatever the sure, sure, brand sure. is at Walmart yeah. that you're getting for the same price, right? So, right, all right. So there is yeah, the budget talk. Yeah, yes, there's always yeah. there's always the budget talk, right? And it goes right. both ways because I used to work for a company that uh, needed to invest in 4K as a uh, a medium to analyze uh, oil and gas and geoseismic data, mm -hmm. and they refused to do so because the price tag was enough to cause the CFO to walk out of the room during discussions. So it does go both ways, right? We have about five-ish minutes left. So let's kind of do a lightning round on this on one of the things that was brought up. Boxes don't matter. Gear is commoditized. The days of, you know, 16 plus points on any bid for just equipment are gone when it comes to larger enterprise. It's not going to happen, right? Um, the days of prosumer are becoming also more and more prevalent with going to Walmart and going to your local electronics store buying X and putting it up on a wall or even having, you know, um, integration people, firms like your Magnolias and your Best Buys come out and do it for you, right? Jimmy hit on, touched on a very important thing. I'm, I'm going to give us each a minute-ish to talk about people. We talked about the brand and building that and what makes sense there. What's the next big thing for your people? 
what's that drive to make you stand out as an individual? Is it ongoing with CTS? Is it adoption of standards? Is it some new, new whiz bang thing? I don't know. Uh, we're going to start with Alan. Alan, minute and a half, go. <laughs> You're going to confuse people. People are going to be calling no, we're not. Everybody. on the street. Um, I think as a, as a leader in my company, you know, we're, we're constantly looking at our people and, and trying to figure out how can we have the best people on our team so we can do a really good job, but then also, you know, benefit um, our employees and their families. I don't have 30 employees. I have 30 families that depend on me to sell, to manage, to make smart decisions, to make good investments and to do the right thing because that's where they want to, to be and develop and grow. You are like the people you spend your time around. Um, so for us, the biggest difference with our people that we've made in the last five years is our hiring process. Uh, it went from, we really like a guy you're hired to it. It's like a minimum two weeks if we really knock it out. Um, just because we, we do, skill tests, bench tests, written tests. We do a training day to give them a background of what they'll be doing so that when they go to take these tests, they're not totally a deer in the headlights if they're a good person with little experience. Um, we do personality tests. We do uh, interviews with the department. We do leadership team interviews. And then we do, uh, we, we do all this stuff. And the whole purpose of that is to really take the time to figure out who they are, how they'll fit into our, our organization. and by not letting people in that don't fit us, not because they're bad people or we're better than them, but it just isn't a good fit. By not allowing people that don't fit into our organization, everyone wants to work with each other. Everyone likes working with each other because we all are going the same direction, have the same common thread. Um, and, that, and that's, that's where I'll leave that for me. And, and that's why we call you Alan because you can't talk for just a minute and a half. Awesome. All right, Jeremy. What's the next big thing in people and in, in the brand? Where should they start looking? Okay, we can all we can all, you know, I, it, it's great. I mean, as a business as a business person, as a business leader, you need to invest in your people. You need to make sure that it is important that you're talking about people and their families and training and education and the betterment of them. And and and, but in all reality, they have to be motivated to better themselves and better, you know, in turn, better the company, right? And that's key. And I think that vetting process that Luke talked about is is key, but. I think more to your question, which is where are we going with people? How do I sell IAS technology? How do I sell my integration company, right? How do I, if I can't sell the equipment and I'm selling, you know, I'm, how do I compete with the guy next door who's saying the exact same things that I am saying about you're gonna get a quality system and a great warranty and a great experience and, and yada, 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 right? And I think the bottom line on that comes down to just pure professionalism, right? Not only are my guys certified, not only are they trained in all of the standards and all the stuff, and we're going to do a fantastic job. They just need to be professional, straight up professional. Also very important. Actually, Jeremy did it in a minute. Luke, take notes. Chuck, <laughs> you where can't are you? Greatness into one minute sometimes. <laughs> yeah, but you can, but you can be concise. You fail. Chuck, go. What was the question? Um, <laughs> So when it comes to people, my, oh, my entire job revolves around people since I don't have boxes to do and I don't have uh, uh, projects to actually run. My entire job revolves around making the people of the AV industry uh, 
better at their jobs, helping them be better at their jobs and, and uh, getting a place, some type of place where they can feel safe to talk about the things they don't know and ask questions. So um, I feel very fortunate to be in this position uh, because I feel like I get to reach out and, and have influence and, and touch every single person in the industry. <laughs> I get to touch everybody. Um, I can, I can have uh, uh, conversations with anybody and everybody in the entire industry. And we can talk about the things that vex them. We can talk about the things that uh, problems they're having. And I can put them in touch with other people that, that maybe have a solution. I don't have all the solutions, but if I can, man, I'd like to teach the world to sing in perfect harmony type thing, you know, get everybody in the industry together and, and just work like we do. I might have gone over on time, but I managed to also not touch other people. All the people, all the people she said. I, I do. All right. So for, for, for my, my part of this, I'm going to take it from the end user perspective and say that your brand, you, what you do is what matters most to this industry. You heard it from three people who have expounded at length, Luke, more at length, but at length in general, that we're talking about people make the difference. And so I'm going to tie, put a bow on this and say that you as an individual listening right now, both the people who are listening to this podcast are the ones who make the difference in this industry. It doesn't well, matter. My mom. My mom. What's that? Yeah, well, that's close, close enough. Only yeah. One. Yeah. Yeah. You make the difference. And that's what's important. You are what makes this industry worthwhile. You are what makes us as individuals come together and talk and have a good time every day, going to work, building the awesome that you do. You as your brand, what you cultivate and show your customers and your users and your friends every day in this industry is what makes this industry worthwhile. And that's the most important part that I hope that through our long and rambling discussion that you got today, that's all the time we have for right now. We do appreciate it. Again, this has been the Wolfpack Podcast. We have I Mr. Chuck <laughs> Maybe asking a lot. You don't know. But uh, thanks again. And we hope you had a good time. And we'll see you next time. Peace.